0: The Joyce Kaufman podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. You know, I was really thinking about this the other day. When I was growing up, like people had a career. They got into a business or a workplace and they were expected to stay there until they retired i mean my father worked for the united states post office until he was eligible to retire and then he worked for you know chase manhattan bank until he was eligible to retire again most people when i was growing up had these lifelong careers and you know then i chose to get into multiple careers where you have absolutely no job security <laughs> And I think now that's pretty much um, most businesses. I mean, I've just looked, you know, this morning I wake up and for the last couple of days it's all been like Chris Licht, uh, he's not making it at CNN and nobody likes him at CNN and all the anchors at CNN hate him. I wake up this morning and he's gone, right? He departed the company yesterday or today, I don't know. I met with Chris and he will be leaving CNN. David Zasloff, the chief executive of parent company Warner Brothers Discovery, told CNN employees at the start of their daily editorial meeting. So here you have a network. He's brought in. He fires uh, two of their anchors. He's got everybody with really low morale. Their ratings are lower than they've ever been before, Um, they're not making any money, and now it's all his fault, in spite of the fact that all of this was going on before he got there. Um, You had Jeff Zucker, who was summarily disposed of, they claimed it was over some nonsense, but it was really not over nonsense at all, they wanted him out. so it's been less than a year, I think, right? I guess it was a, a year. And this is a guy who was really the the you know what did he do? What did Chris Lick do to deserve to be at the helm of CNN? Not that CNN is such a prestigious organization anymore, right? We're not talking about Ted Turner's CNN. Uh, he was like the producer of The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Okay, you know. Uh, Big deal. Um, But of course, this newspaper article that came out, not newspaper, a magazine, The Atlantic, published an article last week in which they literally had their author speak to 100 CNN employees and unanimous opinion was that he couldn't lead the organization. He apologized, he vowed to fight like hell, he's going to win over the trust, but it was clear that he was not gonna make it. And so they got rid of him. So now it's uh, David Levy, who was CNN's Chief Operating Officer last week, and on, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. CNN is a pathetic wannabe has-been news network, but they all are. You know, I, I, none of them seem to be surviving very well. You know, they all had their heydays. CNN certainly had its heyday. It was the first one. And then they all had, uh, you know, to deal with the opinion side of news, which became prevalent. And uh, they, you know, you saw Fox take the lead. This morning I wake up on top of uh, the fact that Chris Licht is out at CNN. Rachel Maddow... Uh, got MSNBC into the primetime winning. I mean, she literally won over Sean Hannity. So what does this all really tell you? Because I think that's what's relevant. The the departure of various people, including Tucker Carlson, and I'm going to get to Tucker Carlson who started his Twitter show. um, There is no appetite anymore for what they've been doing. That's the bottom line. There is literally no appetite for the kind of cable news that we have all been living with for the last, I'm going to say, six to eight years. All right? For a while, there was kind of a, a, everybody was having a very good time around Donald Trump. You either hated him or you loved him. And so that was exciting. But that couldn't last forever, right? You know, because the hatred became so deep and so profound, the whole Trump derangement syndrome, that people were turned off. Even people who didn't like him were turned off. But certainly people who did like him really just couldn't tolerate, I I couldn't even watch MSNBC, even for a few minutes, because it was just Trump bashing, Trump bashing, Trump bashing, and I'm trying to figure out what's happening in China, like what's happening with Russia, you know? And I could never get, they could never get to that. And it was so mean and so insidious, right? So now I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, you know, why would Rachel Maddow suddenly be the one person that's, uh, you know, beating back all the other news networks on MSNBC, which was always the lowest rated one, right? Well, it's pretty simple to me. It's because Rachel Maddow has stayed consistent to her audience, Whatever that audience is, I don't have to be part of that audience to understand that she has, and this is a woman who literally uh, attempted to ruin my life. She ended up saving it, but she attempted to ruin it when she played that you know, uh, loop of me talking about the Second Amendment. Um, but she's been consistent. She never changes. She believes what she believes. She says crazy things all the time, and people shake their heads and love it, you know, and so... If you're looking for something that's consistent, then she's really about all you got. I think the only show that beat it was um, The Five at Five, which is, I you know, it's not for me. That show is not for me. I, I really—it's not that I don't like people with differing opinions. I certainly do, but four against one is not exactly my cup of tea. I mean, if you got four conservatives and one liberal, or four liberals and one conservative, that's just not a fair fight, right? I, I used to love Crossfire, where you'd have a liberal, you know, Buckley, a, a conservative against a liberal, but you know, that's not what the five is. The five is like you know, it's like The View. <laughs> To me, it's a lot of chatter and a lot of predictable comments by a lot of predictable people. You know, when when the best you can do is have Geraldo Rivera and uh, Juan Williams as your liberal persons, or Jessica Tarlov. The only one I can even mildly tolerate is the uh, former Congressman uh, uh, Ford. You know, he, he he's at least you know thoughtful in his comments. But for the most part, it's you know Greg and and Jesse uh, beating up and telling jokes. It's the judge uh, ranting and raving, and it's Dana Perino trying to pretend that this is all normal, right? So cable news is uh, pretty much um, it's on its way out. It really is, and for a long time, it had replaced um, radio talk radio. It demolished liberal talk radio a long time ago. And then it was really um, impacting conservative talk radio as well, because half of the people that were now on conservative talk radio had to have shows on the Fox network in order to have any credibility, which is really very demeaning to those of us who radio is our career. But it was like Sean Hannity did three hours on the radio and an hour on television. Laura Ingram started on the radio, and then as soon as she could get a TV show, she was off the radio. Brian Kilmeade, I think Brian Kilmeade is on the radio like 10 hours a day and on TV, 10 hours a day. I don't know if the man ever sleeps, you know. Taking advantage of his popularity, I get it, you know. Um, Certainly, Tucker Carlson, Uh, I don't ever remember him having a radio show, but he certainly has been on every network, CNN, MSNBC, um, and, and of course Fox. And when they fired Tucker, all bets were off. That's my opinion, you know, and I'm sticking to it. When they let him go, what it said to the audience was, we have no idea how to run news networks anymore. And at first, we decided we were going to move towards more opinion than straight news. Then we decided, no, no, we're going to move back to straight news. We just don't know what to do. So we're going to keep making terrible mistakes and hope that you'll watch enough of it so that we can make a few bucks on it. But here's the good part about all this, and and I do, you know, I, I must admit that I'm I'm pretty happy about this. Talk radio is going to be preeminent once again when it comes to, in particular, conservative viewpoints. I think it's also going to incorporate more liberal viewpoints. Imagine, you know, me saying that, because I always said that the reason liberals aren't successful on radio is because, you know, they're constantly talking against business. And if you're against business, who wants to advertise on your show? You know, businesses want pro-business people. But I think even that's changing. And if I were younger, and I had the opportunity, I would find a really smart liberal. I used to know a couple of them. Andre Eglesheim was one of them. And I would co-host a show where we would do like a crossfire, and, but it would have to be somebody I had respect for. I, I was able to do that in years gone by. It's just, you know, it, it fell out of favor. And people, you know, got so polarized that, you know, if you liked one host, you hated the other. And if you hated the other, you didn't want to listen to the show. And it just got crazy. But I think that if I were starting out, that's what I would do. I'd find a really credible liberal, maybe an RFK junior, you know, because he's not going to get the nomination, right? but he has made some powerful statements that show me he's literally thoughtful and it would be fun to debate him. You know, I I could see myself debating, um, well, there's not a whole lot of people that I have that much respect. This guy Ford, um, I'm trying to remember what his first name is, the congressman. I could see doing a crossfire type show with him you know, I could even see and I know this'll make you like, you know, probably roll your eyes, I could see doing like a crossfire show with Chris Cuomo. Only because he would never really get the better of me. And he's he, he can be thoughtful. And if that were the tenor of the show, if it was meant to be thoughtful, it could work. Eh, maybe not Chris Cuomo, but certainly there's got to be some liberals out there that I could have a conversation with. And that would be interesting programming. Because what we've got going on now, holy moly, nobody's uh, nobody's able to make it. Not that that's the whole content of my show today, but I did have to mention that, you know, licks out at CNN. Uh, magazines are just not working out. you got Chuck Todd is out at Meet the Press. Um, you know, you got an article in a magazine that destroys a a big cable TV CEO. What's going on? You know, and are you paying attention? Because I I really, and this is anecdotal, I understand it, I'm not the beginning and the end of, you know, the answer to this question. But since, let's see, I want to say since the last election, I have limited my viewing of cable news programming tremendously first and foremost these are very troubled times and the kind of troubles we're having are demoralizing and depressing for somebody who's got any patriotism in them so i don't watch a lot okay i also uh, am extremely tired of the rancor you know it's one thing to have a legitimate debate and an argument it's another thing to have descended and conservatives have now descended just like liberals into the name calling. Like I don't get, that's not fun for me. If I wanna watch name calling, you know, I, I can go to a playground and look at little kids cause that's who does that. And so when they took Tucker Carlson off a couple of months ago, that put me in the position of having to make a decision. Like was I gonna watch anything anymore and as you well know, I just, I withdrew completely. I do not watch any cable news for more than five minutes. Like, if something is breaking, I may turn it on to see what the breaking story is. I kind of like Harris Faulkner. I saw she was sitting in this week at the in the Tucker time slot, so I watched. But I could only watch for five minutes. Because immediately, it was bashing, 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 even Harris. So it's like, ah, uh, you know, I can live without this. I can read. And that way I can stop reading when the bashing begins. You can't really stop television when the bashing begins because it's constant. So where are we going and where am I heading with all this? If ever I felt there was a need for my show, and maybe even a longer show, then don't get your hopes too high. But if ever I felt that talk radio was going to have to fill a void, it's right now. I have never been so convinced that the only place where people are still having conversations that, in the end, make sense whether they agree with them or not, is going to be on talk radio. So, so much for my plans for retirement again. Anyway, <laughs> uh, don't forget to download our app, the Eight Fifty app. That way, you never have to worry whether they take AM out or they leave AM in cars. By the way, the Congress just passed a bill. They, you know, insisting that they not take AM radios out of cars good for Congress, about time they did something relevant. Um, But if you have the app, you don't have to worry about that, right? And you can visit the website, 850wftl.com. Either way, you can get involved in all of our contests, contests, get breaking news, and just be on top of things. You know, my No Restraint podcasts are definitely worth a listen. And I'm gonna take a quick break and I'll be right back. Okay, so we had Chris Christie uh, declare war against Donald Trump. Now let, let me remind everybody, Chris Christie ran against Donald Trump in a primary before, and it basically ended up uh, you know helping Donald Trump because he went after Marco Rubio. So I don't know what Chris Christie's uh, you know thought process is, but let me just say this uncategorically. Chris Christie will never be able to be on that debate stage because he will never get enough donors. He's the most unlikable you know, donut-eating character ever. So uh, I don't know what he's trying to do, get some press. Uh, I really don't know, but I don't care. The one that's curious to me is Mike Pence. Today, Mike Pence kicked off his campaign. And you have to think about this for a minute, right? Because this is politics at its most interesting. Mike Pence was the VP with Donald Trump. And for four years... Mike Pence stood by Donald Trump at times when everybody else was running and abandoning. He defended him, he agreed, he believed the whole 9 yards until that day, that fateful day when the um the protesters appeared in the Capitol building and for some reason Mike Pence decided instead of extending um the the confirmation of all of the vote totals, which he had a com- perfect right to do, he was going to get nervous and get scared and, um, and blame President Trump for the fact that he and his family felt threatened, right? So now he's running against the man whom he stood alongside of for four years and they did incredible things because you can hate Donald Trump with all your heart and soul. You can feel that Donald Trump is a, um, a madman, a misogynist, an anti-Semitic, whatever your you know, Trump derangement syndrome is all about. You can feel that way, but you cannot deny that the four years that Donald Trump and Mike Pence were sitting in the you know in the executive branch that this country was able to do some things that people like me and definitely people like you conservatives were very pleased with much more so than all of these rhinos that have been you know in power for so long and couldn't get diddly squat done okay so for Mike Pence to now run against him is gonna be really tricky because the last thing that he can bring up is all the great things that Trump did when he was vice president. So he, he's walking that fine line. You have to remember that Mike Pence was a radio personality before he was a politician, before he became a governor and then the VP. And so he's good, he's really good with um, parsing and, and finessing conversations. So he got up in this video announcement this morning and he said, today our party and our country needs a leader that will appeal, as Lincoln said, to the better angels of our nature. So he then talked about all of the great things that he did when he was vice president without mentioning Donald Trump. He talked about how his family and he have been blessed with a lot of opportunities to serve the nation, and it would be very easy for him to stay on the sidelines, but that's not how I was raised. That's why today, before God and my family, I'm announcing I am running for president of the United States. Now, um, one thing I can tell you is that the uh, evangelical vote is hanging in the balance. Evangelicals Would much prefer Michael Pence, you know, to see Mike Pence get the nomination. Um, I don't think they're that interested in Governor DeSantis. I don't think they know enough about him to be, you know, pro DeSantis. Um, And maybe they've found out more things about Donald Trump than they're going to be able to forgive this time around. I don't know. But what I do know is what the Republicans are setting up yet again is an all or nothing primary. It's either put Donald Trump at the top of the ticket or just you might as well just abandon the race altogether. Mike Pence cannot win. Uh, Ron DeSantis cannot win. And I've told you a million times why I believe Ron DeSantis cannot win. And, and I saw a great example of it just the other day when he was up on a stage with his wife, Casey DeSantis, and he looked completely um, overpowered by her. Uh, and she ain't overpowering like a, a Donald Trump would be. But so that notwithstanding, um, I, I think he's a great governor. I think one day he'll be a great president, just not today. Uh, so No matter who they put it, Chris Christie has no chance. Nikki Haley, you know, she kind of hangs in there. I don't know how, but somehow she's able to get donors. uh, Tim Scott, uh, who I gave very little credit to, um, I didn't think he had a prayer, has really been asserting himself in a way that I think is commendable and uh, will probably put him firmly in third place for some period of time unless uh, Mike Pence is able to get some traction. So all of them are in single digits behind uh, the governor and of course behind Donald Trump. You know, today all the articles are coming out because now people are getting scared. You see, Donald Trump had such a commanding lead and so now the rhinos are scared and of course the Democrats, they don't know whether to be happy or to be sad because they believe they could beat Trump. Um, They just don't know if they could do it with Biden. You know. Um, and so I'm watching all these articles come out today. Oh, uh, Governor DeSantis is gaining. He's got. Uh, he's winning here, and he's winning there, and he's going to win here. And he, and I'm thinking to myself, do they not realize that by diluting all of these normal uh, Republican voters, whether it's evangelicals, whether it's um, other people of faith, whether it's Um, business persons, you know, the more they dilute the message and the more candidates they have, the less possibility they have of coming out strong with a candidate at the end of this. Now, that worked for Donald Trump in 2016. It will not work in 2024. And for me to say that is really um, a lot but it's just not, the, that method is, is, is over. You can't do it that way. So what the Republican Party has to do, and they better do it quick, is figure out how they're either gonna make peace with one Donald J. Trump or they better start praying that the, uh, the legal system takes them out of the race and that they're able to emerge with some kind of a strong package you know, that strong package could be anything. Look, I'm, I'm not in the business of pretending that that couldn't happen. Donald Trump may end up losing this nomination, but how do you win an election with the characters that are there right now, I don't know. Unless you perform a very solid kind of block, which could be a Mike Pence with a, a Tim Scott, It could be uh, uh, Mike Pence with uh, DeSantis. It could be a DeSantis with Tim Scott. I don't know what that combination is. It could include Nikki Haley. I don't know. And is there a dark horse candidate that's going to emerge? I don't know the answer. But I will tell you this. It really makes me sad that the people who knew that Donald Trump did the things that he said he was going to do within his power. Couldn't build a wall, I get it, I hear you Ann Coulter, but he did as much as he possibly could and even more than we ever dreamed he could. And for us to now say, that's just not good enough, we don't like his personality, really, really shows the country that we don't have any principles at all. We have no loyalty and we didn't even appreciate what he did. So I think it's a losing proposition for the Republican Party. I am talking to people all over the country who are telling me that they predict some really uh, awful losses for Republicans in 2024. And while I had hoped against hope that that wouldn't be the case, I see the dark clouds forming. And the grassroots better take back the party. Because if it goes back into the hands of the uh, Republican establishment, you may never see a Republican president again. That's my prediction, okay? All right, let me take a break. When we come back, I'm going to talk a little bit about um, what Tucker Carlson is doing, what he's up to, and how that is going to affect the upcoming election, because everything is going to affect it. Stay right where you are. I'll be right back. So much to talk about and so little time. Um, you, you just, you can't imagine what's going on around the rest of the country because most of the time we stay pretty focused, and at least I try to stay pretty focused here at um, Florida Politics. And it's amazing to me how my listeners, by and large, um, really think out of the box you know, and they'll send me text messages and emails, and um, and make comments on whatever uh, social media platforms that they use, which show me that they're they're more thoughtful than the people who are actually controlling politics, right? You know, I already got a, a an email from one of my f- you know favorite listeners um, who said his gut tells him that. Um, Mike Pence's goal is to be the VP to somebody, which is kind of what I just said. And if by some small chance he gets the nod, you know, he gets to be the candidate, that's a bonus. And of course, um Tim Scott's greatest well, I, I, I used to think that Tim Scott's only um positive was that he was a person of color or whatever I'm supposed to call people like him. Um but now I'm beginning to see that he actually has a very Horatio Alger story, and he tells it extremely well, much like, I think, uh, Clarence Thomas tells his story, if anybody will listen to it. You know, unfortunately, Democrats don't listen to that. So I, I just, um, I think that somehow Tim Scott is in probably one of the best positions for a VP nod, regardless of who gets the... Um, the nomination, and you notice that the uh, the presumptive leader right now, Donald Trump, has beat up everybody except Tim Scott, and he hasn't taken many shots at Nikki Haley either, but you know, I, I think he doesn't take Nikki Haley's candidacy very seriously, but he does take Tim Scott's candidacy very seriously, and I think Tim Scott has been an ally of the president was an ally, and that's, that's irrelevant. Donald Trump is, is very much about who is uh, been there consistently for him, and I think that that's, uh, that's a fascinating dynamic. This is gonna be a fascinating primary, no matter what. Even the Democrat primary, when you think about it, is, is kind of uh, unusual, because you have a Kennedy, and anytime you have a Kennedy in the mix like a lot of memories come out. You know, uh, this is Robert Kennedy's son, okay? And I think he's making the Democrats extremely nervous because first and foremost, um, he's a Kennedy. And there's a tremendous sense of loyalty to the Kennedy family. I mean, how much more do you have to um, sacrifice for the country than to have two of your, elected representatives, gunned down, one as president and the other running for the presidency. And so you take this man, and the great thing about RFK Jr., and as I've revealed before, you know, full disclosure, I knew him um, when he, he and I were both young. And he's very bright and very dynamic. And the fact that he has this uh, laryngeal aphasia um, makes him kind of more uh, hum- human. In other words, he's not one of these typical like uh, bigger than life Kennedys. And he's been on the forefront of a lot of relevant issues to younger voters, whether it's do vaccines cause uh, childhood illnesses or the rest of it. So he's not young, but he's not old. You know, He's kind of like in that perfect pocket where you think he's got experience, he certainly comes from a background of politics, he is articulate, he's thoughtful, he's published, all of these things that, you know, really are uh, qualifiers for this, and he doesn't fall down on the stage at the Air Force Academy graduation. You see, no matter what, they no longer can deny, even though uh, Karine Jean Pierre yesterday did some convoluted description of why, you know, uh, President Biden falling on the stage didn't mean anything. People see that, and they it does mean something. Most of us, and particularly those who are in the voting category, have parents or grandparents who are. Uh, failing in health for whatever reason. Some of them have, you know, uh, physical infirmities. Some of them have some dementia or some Alzheimer's. So we know what it looks like. And when we see the president of the United States, you know, uh, practically faceplant over and over again, we have cause for concern. Even Hillary Clinton said, hey, look, it's a valid point that, you know, we're not sure if he's physically up to the task, or if he's even mentally up for the task. We're talking about a man who would literally be 86 years old by the time he got to the end of a second term. And uh, and can he serve this term, never mind another four years? So Robert F. Kennedy is an interesting dynamic. I said that all along. And I'm grateful, because otherwise that would be so boring just trying to figure out how uh, Joe Biden is going to get through the campaign, never mind... Uh, the rest of this term and another term. But it brought to mind something else. you know uh, and, and for a person of faith like me, you know I believe that God is in control of everything, right? And a couple of months ago, I printed out or I started printing out all of these um, well well pieces that over the years I had written monologues and 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 other things about Jimmy Carter the president because, you know, you can't spend 30 years on the air saying that Jimmy Carter was the worst president ever until Joe Biden, but, um, and not have some notes to back it up. And I keep, uh, and I am a journaler. I journaled about my program for 30 plus years. So I have a lot of that information and I started putting it all together And also the facts about Jimmy Carter because he went into hospice, right? So, you know, I often tell the story when we used to do something called the Deadpool, which is a terrible thing. I don't do that anymore. But we used to all pick a person and say that we predicted they would be the first person to transition out. And I had picked Jimmy Carter back in the 90s, you know. And he never, you know, never. he got sick and he'd get well. He'd get cancer and he'd get healed. And now he's like in his late 90s and he's in hospice and he's been in hospice for months, you know. And so I'm looking at this and I'm thinking like, so then can I really make a case that Joe Biden is beyond, uh, you know, the ability of God to to keep him for the next six years? I can't. I, I would have never believed that you should see this pile of papers that I have here waiting for the day when the announcement comes that Jimmy Carter has finally passed, right? Because you, you there's no way I can go on the air and not talk about it, right? And I don't have to lie about it. People know how I felt about him. But he also was a great humanist. He also was a devout Christian. There's a lot of things that I'll want to say when that day comes. So I've got all these notes and you know they're starting to collect dust. You know. And and that's amazing. So it, what it reminded me of was that here I am and here so many of us are saying, you know, uh, the 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 Biden's bell is tolling. We have no idea. We really don't. And frailty is not necessarily the end of the road for anybody. You know, he may not be um, very steady on his bicycle anymore, but that doesn't mean that he can't lead if he's got the proper people around him. Now, of course, my biggest problem with Joe Biden is he's got all the wrong people around him, all the people who have thrown this country into despair, um, from his economic team to his foreign policy team. Look at the world today. I mean, I don't have to, uh, you know, even... Work hard at making the case for what a poor president he's been, but uh, I think RFK is going to make this an interesting primary, really. Uh, you know, and I would have never expected it. And then, of course, you all know that my perfect package would be Donald Trump and RFK on the same ticket. It would dispel every notion. That there are no people that could work together and maybe do great things for this nation. Okay, I know it's never going to happen, but you know, dreams, uh, you should never not dream, because if you don't have a dream, then nothing can ever come true. Anyway, don't forget coming up at one o'clock, Dan Bongino, at four o'clock, Ben Shapiro, and then at five o'clock, Matt Walsh and the WPTV News will follow that. And then, of course, tomorrow morning we begin all over again with Jen and Bill in the morning in the South Florida Morning Show. But I have one segment left. Stay right where you are. I'll be right back. So, what can I tell you? Um, the other thing that I I just I, I always hesitate to talk about these things because I tell everybody they're not important. We shouldn't be paying attention to them. But there's something fascinating about the uh, the the. Harry-Megan couple, and I didn't know what was going on, but apparently there's a big lawsuit, a civil lawsuit going on in Great Britain, and Prince Harry um, went, went to court, and he's, you know, apparently, you know, fighting for his dignity. I don't know what, what the purpose is, but he claims that, you know, the, the press has been brutal to him, and that it's not fair, and that he knows that his phone was being hacked by newspapers and and whatever, and so he's sitting on the uh, in the witness box, and they the you know it's funny because I, I saw some they don't have actual photographs of what goes on in the courtroom, but they do drawings like we do, and all of these attorneys, um in the high court, wear those white powdered wigs like in the old days. And I didn't realize that, but it certainly makes them look a lot more, I don't know, just, uh, it's kind of like a British accent, right? Like when you hear somebody talk with a British accent, you immediately assume that they're like smart, which is not true, but um, not necessarily true anyway. But when you see these like uh, white wigs that these men are wearing, you think to yourself, well, this is serious business, right? So now this guy, no matter what, Prince Harry is a prince, right? He's not used to anybody uh, badgering him. He, he's he got pretty, you know, pretty much carte blanche, as we've learned. He's 38 years old, and he is claiming that these 140 articles that were published between 1996 and 2010 had information that they got using unlawful methods. And in most instances, he's claiming that his phone was hacked. So now the the, the barrister, you know, the attorney that is doing the cross-examination is brutal, you know. Um, and what he said was, do you understand that, like, there's an interest by the public in any story having to do with royals which of course makes perfect sense right like if you have a king and a queen you want to know what's going on with them and if you have princes and princesses you want to know what's going on for them and if you're harry and you have spent the last five or six years making your life like the biggest psychodrama ever you know marrying an actress and and leaving the royal family and and having children and accusing the royal family of racism and all this stuff that's been going on do you really think that the pub uh, that the public isn't going to be curious and that they're not going to want to hear stories and that the press isn't going to meet that need you know what what do you think is uh, is appropriate how much of your life should be on display he was asked and he he like had the nerve to say none of it You know, he said, this is an industrial scale destruction, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, um, I'm sorry. With all the prestige that you have and all of the blessings that you have, it comes with a price. You know, people like me can't sue for libel. I'm a public figure. When people say nasty things about me, I just basically have to take it. You know, even when it impinges on my ability to earn a living, although that was supposed to be the qualifier, if you impinge on my ability to earn a living, I'm supposed to be able to come after you. But even that is so hard. The bar is so hard to overcome. So I'm just, I got to tell you, I've been fascinated by this. Um, I got to believe that this guy is just, he's got to be fed up with what he's done and how he has literally um sacrificed everything that could have been his life for, I guess, love. I mean, I I don't know. I don't know if it's love. You should see all these boxes of evidence that they have in this courtroom, like literally boxes. And so every time they ask him to look at something, he's like rifling through boxes. They finally had to give him an assistant. You know, princes don't rifle through boxes. You can't make this stuff up, though. I am fascinated, I must admit, I am fascinated by this trial and more fascinated than I was by Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, which, by the way, Johnny Depp did not need assistance in combing through his, uh, you know, boxes of evidence. So, you know, maybe Prince Harry just needs to grow up. Anyway, that does it for me today. I got a lot more. Tomorrow we're going to be talking about China. I'm going to be talking with an expert because, let me tell you, we are so far behind the eight ball that it's getting scary. Now, um, uh, my plan is to be back here tomorrow at noon if it be his will and he delays his coming. What lies behind us and what lies ahead of us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. So, wherever you are, just be yourself. Everybody else is taken. Oh, and, uh, you know, I will be talking tomorrow about the joining of the golf tournaments. That's a good story. God bless you and God bless the USA.